This is the 171st QuackCast, a review of supplements, complementary, and alternative medicine, i.e. scams. This is called Ethical Failures, and it was originally written July 10th, 2015. It is summer vacation in eastern Oregon at Sun River. Unbelievable geology, fantastic hikes, great biking, wonderful golf, delicious beer, and good food. This thesaurus fails me for superlatives. It is hard to get too riled up about all things scam when I could be doing one or all the above. I really do not want to write this. Sadly, Dr. Gorski keeps threatening me with a video he has of me touting the benefits of integrative medicine with its holistic approach to healthcare, and I just can't have that published on the net. So some brief speculation to fill the time between golf and a pint of IPA overlooking the sisters. Ethics and the Purpose of Scam Steve Novella started the SBM blog in 2008 in part because he realized that evidence-based medicine was inadequate for the task of evaluating pseudomedicines. He coined the term science-based medicine with the realization that for fantastical therapies like acupuncture or homeopathy, all the potential biases and flaws in the evidence from the clinical trials could result in pseudomedicines appearing effective when at heart they are all Oakland, California, with no there there. I do not suppose there could be science-based ethics. One person's ethical certainty is another person's belly laugh. I remember a grand rounds on human cloning years ago, and they had, among others, a priest discussing the ethics of human cloning, and I thought at the time there could be few speakers with less legitimacy. And really, I see no harm in cloning an army of zombie super-soldiers, especially if they are under my control. Still, one of the issues I remain amazed at is how many clinical trials for pseudomedicines are approved by institutional review boards, IRBs. The Changing Practice of Medicine let us ignore for the sake of this podcast the issue that there is little point in testing pseudomedical therapies from a medical practice perspective. In real medicine, we do studies to guide therapies, eventually adding or abandoning interventions as the data accumulates as to their benefit or lack thereof. I have been in medicine for over 30 years, and the old saw that half of what you learn in medical school will be proven wrong is probably off by a log. So much of what I used to do has either been abandoned or superseded as new clinical trials, therapies, and diagnostics have become available. This is, of course, the opposite of pseudomedicines. No therapy is ever abandoned as a result of the accumulation of negative clinical trials. Scams do change, but usually it's the unholy merging of two different pseudomedicines to give a third, say, laser acupuncture or chiropractic nose balloons. But there is little reason from a practical point of view in doing pseudomedical research as the practice will never, ever, never, ever change as a result of the research. They are fundamentally reality-proof endeavors. The end result of 30 years of negative or inconclusive pseudomedical research is the growth of integrative medical divisions in all the major universities. So depressing. The Ethics of Scam Research Let's talk instead about the ethics of research. Clinical trials have to be approved by an IRB, and usually these IRBs are at the institution where the research is being performed. 
Perhaps it is not the best that your friends and colleagues are the ones to determine if a given scam trial is actually appropriate. I would be willing to bet that the average person sitting on an IRB has as much understanding and background about pseudomedicines as I did 10 years ago, i.e. almost nothing. The purpose of an IRB is, quote, to assure both in advance and by periodic review that appropriate steps are taken to protect the rights and welfare of humans participating as subjects in the research. To accomplish this purpose, IRBs use a group of processes to review research protocols and related materials to ensure protection of the rights and welfare of human subjects of research. And it is important that they, quote, safeguard the rights, safety, and well-being of all trial subjects. Special attention should be paid to trials that may include vulnerable subjects, such as pregnant women, children, prisoners, the elderly, or persons with diminished comprehension. The IRB should, I suspect, follow the NIH ethical guidelines. Although guidelines are not commandments, they do form a conceptual framework to guide the evaluation of a clinical trial. That would include social and clinical value. Only if society will gain useful knowledge, which requires sharing results, both negative and positive, exposing human subjects to the risk and burden of research be justified. Scientific validity. A study should be designed in a way that will get an understandable answer to a valuable research question. Favorable risk-benefit ratio. An independent review and informed consent are all also part of the ethical framework of medical research. And to my mind, almost all the studies of pseudomedicines like acupuncture, homeopathy, chiropractic, Reiki, all first fail with scientific validity. Research with these modalities are the poster child for being invalid research that is unethical because it is a waste of resources and exposes people to risk for no purpose. The Ethics of Dividing by Zero and clinical trials for pseudomedicine fail to gain useful knowledge, as well as a risk-benefit that has no meaning. You can't divide by zero, after all. What amazes me is the perfect storm of pseudomedical testing in vulnerable populations, where the IRBs have failed in all ethical aspects of clinical trial oversight. Homeopathy is water. I cannot imagine how it would be ethical to test water for any process in children. I cannot understand how an IRB that understood homeopathy could approve a study in an at-risk population. But there are no end of homeopathy studies in children. Quote, a total of 326 articles were identified. That's pretty amazing. And they looked at homeopathy for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, acute diarrhea, asthma, adenoid vegetation, whatever that is, and upper respiratory tract infections. They were testing water in real diseases. They shouldn't have tested it even once. And the University of Toronto wants to test homeopathy in ADHD children, even though a prior pilot study used to justify further testing was, quote, unblinded, devoid of randomization, 
had no control group, and relied on a subjective outcome, making any data derived from it essentially meaningless. That would be a good basis for experimenting on children, don't you think? Ignoring the question of why such a study would be done in the first place, how does such a study even meet the bare ethical requirements of performing a study? I don't know. Maybe Canadians have a different set of ethical standards. Scam ethics around the world. Not that researchers around the world are any better. There are half a dozen studies evaluating acupuncture for tonsillectomy pain in children and studies in children for acute appendicitis. There are trials of acupuncture in dementia patients and coma patients and therapeutic touch for the demented and no end of chiropractic in children from asthma to bedwetting with all its potential downsides. To my way of thinking, the most egregious abuse of at-risk populations were the trials of homeopathy for diarrhea in Nepal, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Truly vulnerable and impoverished population who desperately need real medications have the magic that is homeopathy inflicted on them with the approval of IRBs. The gaster is flabbered. The NCCIH evidently has an ethics counselor. As best I can determine, she has no publications on either PubMed or the NCCIH site. And I can find no discussion on the ethics of pseudomedical research on the NCCIH website. Why am I not surprised? Children of the demented and the comatose. So much for protecting at-risk populations. The paving stones to hell and IRBs. So how do these studies get past IRBs in this century? I suspect I know the answer. I would bet that, like so much of the scam treatment, the believers make a compelling argument, while those on the IRB take them at their word, knowing little about the interventions and trusting to the good intentions of the researcher. And, as I have recently discovered, quote, the opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is good intentions. The PubMeds find discussions both ways, those that have no issues with the ethics of scam and those who find the use problematic at best. These references concern the use of pseudomedicines, but if there are discussions concerning the ethics of CAM research, I can't find them. I do not see how to hold IRBs accountable for approving studies on magic. Maybe they should read their mission statement and apply it. It remains one of the conundrums of modern medicine. There are no astrologers publishing in astronomy journals or alchemists in the chemistry journals. But the study of magic continues the pace in medicine with no signs of slowing down, ethical or not. But hey, now it's time for a bike ride and then a hike in the Three Sisters. And that ends the 171st QuackCast. Don't forget to go to edgydoc.com to find links to my growing multimedia empire. Otherwise, talk to you next time. Bye.